0: Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. And as we heard the Gospel reading this morning, which came from John chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, described how our Lord Jesus Christ, after he multiplied the five barley loaves and two fish and fed the multitude, left that deserted place and quietly entered Capernaum, And when the people in the deserted place could not find him, they sailed across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and sought him. Our Lord, who is the knower of hearts, perceived that the people were seeking him not because they truly believed in him as the Son of God, but rather because they believed in his power to continue feeding them through such wondrous miracles. And even in the face of the multitude's lack of faith, our compassionate Savior gently rebuke them, saying, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And with God's grace, I propose that we meditate on the meaning of this important commandment in only three points. First, let us meditate on God, as the lover of mankind. When our Savior in today's gospel passage commands us to labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, he reminds us of an important divine truth, namely that God loves us and that God wishes to spend eternity with us. Indeed, the Holy Scripture is full of constant reminders of God's great love for us. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, we find many stories and parables that show how God loves us, not because he is forced to love us, but rather he loves us out of his own desire to freely and willingly love and give himself to us one of the most touching accounts of god's love for us which we will read in about a month is the parable of the prodigal son in which god describes himself as a father who eagerly awaits and celebrates the return of his faithless son the father in this parable does not love his son because he is forced to but rather because He freely and willingly loves him with an intense love that is manifested in all of the Father's dealings with his Son. God chooses to love us. And for this reason, the Holy Church in her wisdom gives to God in her prayers the beautiful title, Philanthropos, Philanthropos, which is Greek for lover of mankind. We know in Greek the word philo means love and anthropos means man, so philanthropos literally means the lover of man. When the church calls God philanthropos, she affirms this important truth, God loves mankind freely and willingly and everything he has done throughout human history, and even in our own personal history, God shows every sign of being drawn to mankind freely, even to the point of wishing to share his life with us for all eternity. Consider, for example, what God says to us through the mouth of the holy prophet Jeremiah. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And elsewhere in the book of Jeremiah, there are many references to God rising up early to meet us and to speak to our souls. Think about that next time you are struggling to wake up early for the divine services, or you are considering attending one of our 5 a.m. liturgies. God himself rises up early in order to meet us and to speak to our souls. And this is undoubtedly a difficult concept for us to comprehend. It is as though the sun felt for the flower the same powerful attraction that the flower feels for the sun. Imagine this with me for a moment. We know that flowers crave the energy and the heat and the light of the sun, and if you put them next to a windowsill, they will actually grow in the direction of the sun to receive that light and heat and energy from the sun, that warmth. And this is the natural order of things, of course. Now imagine if the sun itself changed its path in the sky. Imagine if the sun changed its natural orbit, its natural rotation in order for the sun to shine upon a single flower. That is what it means for God to love us. That is exactly what it is like for God to love us. This is His love for you, for me, and for all of mankind. The great spiritual master and ascetic, Ava Isaac the Syrian, described God's love with awe and wonder using the following words. What profundity of richness? What mind and exalted wisdom is God's? What compassionate and abundant goodness belongs to the Creator? In love did He bring the world into existence? In love, does He guide it during its temporal existence. In love, He is going to transform it into that wondrous state. And in love, will the world be swallowed up in the great mystery of Him who has performed all these things. In love, will the whole course of the governance of creation be finally comprised. In other words, as Ava Isaac teaches us, The world begins in God's love. It is ordered and maintained in God's love. It is sustained in God's love and it will conclude in God's love. God's divine love for us is absolute and unconditional. It is unmerited and gratuitous. It is extravagant and incapable of being extinguished. It includes every angelic and human being, the righteous and the wicked alike. Even the greatest of sinners is loved by God with the same intensity. Please remember this, dear brothers and sisters, because oftentimes when people fall into sin, they naturally feel disgusted by what they have done And then the demons come along, trying to convince them that God no longer loves them and no longer desires them because of what they've done. And once people accept this idea that God no longer loves them, they reason in their minds, I might as well just continue living in sin. Because after all, in their minds, there's no point. There's no point to repent. These are some of the weapons used by the evil one and his demons to keep us from the path of repentance. Sin can lead to death if a person does not repent. But if a person denies God's love for him, then that person, sadly, is already dead. God loves us and He is drawn to us by love. Indeed, he loves us so much that he became one of us for the sake of our salvation. This action of God emptying himself and assuming all of our weakness and our human condition in order to make it his own through the mystery of the incarnation is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. As we say in the fifth part, of the theotokion for the day of monday rejoice and be mm-hmm. happy o human race mm-hmm. for god so revealed his love to the world that he gave his beloved son for those who believe in him so that they may live forever for he has overcome by his mercy and send unto us his almighty arm when our lord jesus christ this morning commands us to labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, we are reminded that God indeed loves us so much that He wants to share His life with us for all of eternity. Second, now that we have spoken about God's love for us, let us speak about our love for Him. In today's Gospel reading, we observe that the multitude followed Christ, And loved him because he fed them the loaves of bread and the fish the day before. They loved and followed Christ for the wrong reason. We don't doubt today that the multitude really expressed love on that day. But the problem is that their love was misdirected towards the worldly things that God gives them through his tender and loving hands rather than having their love directed towards God himself. Imagine dear ones a father who stops at a toy store on his way back from a long day at work in order to buy a beautiful toy for his child. When he comes home he lovingly gives her the toy but to his surprise she takes the toy from him and says Father, I love the toy very much, but I don't love you, and I don't want you." Now this might seem like a harsh and improbable answer, but the reality, sadly, is that we respond to God in this way many times in our lives. Many of us have no problem praying to God, coming to church fasting, reading the scripture for the sake of getting things from God. We pray that God may give us better grades, higher paying jobs, larger houses, faster cars, etc. But when the time comes to show him love just by praising him, without offering, without asking anything of him, just by thanking him and praising him and giving glory to him and sacrificing for him, then oftentimes we come up with excuses. When we are called to show love towards God, our response is oftentimes, I'm sorry, but I can't. I know I should pray every day throughout the day, but I'm sorry, I can't. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I know I should fast when the Holy Church declares a fast. I should be diligent in my fasting, but I'm sorry, I can't. I need my coffee early in the morning, and I have to have milk with it. When the Church calls us to attend special services throughout the week to celebrate this or that fast, like the Feast of Jonah this past Thursday, our response is, I'm sorry, I can't it's too early for me to wake up at 5 a.m and come to church. As Christians, dear brothers and sisters, we do not love God simply for what He gives us, but rather we are to love Him freely and willingly just as He loves us freely and willingly. And to freely and willingly love God, beloved brothers and sisters, requires us to make real sacrifices and changes in every aspect of our lives. Our Lord exhorts us to simplify life, to withdraw from the distractions, in order to concentrate on what he calls the one thing needful, the one thing that is most important, which is to have a real relationship with God through and in Christ. This is the one thing that is needful. This is the only important thing in our lives. This is what the Holy Apostle Paul constantly repeats in his epistles, that I may know Christ, everything else is refuse. Everything else is garbage. That's basically what he says. Nothing but Christ is going to endure forever. He is the great treasure, the pearl of great price. In Him reside all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the way, the truth, and the life. To believe in Him is to have eternal life, forgiveness, peace, joy, purpose, and meaning in life. Christ is everything. And anything that distracts us from Christ, must be cast away. To reciprocate God's immense love for us means that we must make Christ the dominating and controlling principle in our lives. And in order for us to do that, we are called, dear brothers and sisters, to labor, to work diligently. And that brings us to our third And our final point this morning, let us speak about diligent labor. You know, dear brothers and sisters, living in the modern age of convenience and technology, the concept of diligent labor has largely lost its significance. Yesterday, my family purchased some fruit from the grocery store. And the transaction was as simple as selecting the best of the fruit in the grocery section, in the produce section, I should say, bagging it, and then going through the self-checkout. And not only that, but this particular self-checkout allowed me to pay through my watch or with my phone so that I didn't even have to deal with the inconvenience of taking out my wallet. In this modern way of purchasing produce, I didn't have to worry about where the fruit came from or the process behind harvesting that fruit. But you know what, dear brothers and sisters, what I did yesterday is an anomaly. It's something strange in the history of the world. For thousands of years before me, this was not the way people harvested Or gathered fruit. People used to live their lives according to the rhythm of the seasons of the year. There was a time to sow seeds and there was a time for the harvest. And in between those two times there were long months of arduous and diligent labor. What would happen from the time of the sowing of the seed until the time of the harvest? The farmer had to gently water his seeds. He had to pluck out all of the weeds that were growing around his seeds, threatening to choke them. He had to clear the rocks and stones that might prevent his seeds from growing. He had to carefully prune the new plants in order to keep them healthy. He had to perform this diligent labor for months day in and day out, in rain and in the beating sun. He had to work hard for the sake of the harvest, and after many months of working hard, the farmer would finally come to the harvest and joyfully reap the reward of the ripe fruit on the plants. This image, dear brothers and sisters, of sowing the seed and working hard in order to gain a harvest, this image is an icon of our spiritual lives. And this, by the way, not related to the homily, this, by the way, is why when we started, when I came to the church, I told you I didn't want to pray that combined seasonal litany. You know, we have that litany in which we pray for the air and for the seeds and the water all in one litany. I said, I don't want to pray this. And the Holy Synod allows us not to pray this because having a litany for every season, even though we're not farmers, reminds us of our spiritual lives, that there is a time to sow our seeds. Right after the Coptic New Year, we heard the parable of the sower two times in two weeks to remind us that at the beginning of the year, we are to sow spiritual seeds, to focus on the things that we need to work on throughout the year. And after that, there's a time to celebrate the nativity, a time to fast the great holy fast, a time to celebrate the resurrection, a time to have a joyful 50 days. There is a time for everything spiritually throughout the year. And having that separate litany, in my mind, helps us to remember that. You remember when we heard the parable of the sower two weeks in a row? It was a reminder that we are to cast our spiritual seeds into the soil of our hearts and then after that work and labor so that we could have a harvest of spiritual fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. And this morning our Lord once again calls us to a holy and diligent work. A holy and diligent labor that leads to the cultivation of spiritual fruit. Brothers and sisters, this is why we are on this earth. This is the meaning of life. The Lord God has granted us this life as a preparation for eternal life. And while we are in this world, while we are in this flesh, we must work and do all we can for the sake of the formation of our souls, because when death comes and plucks us out of this world, we are not going to take anything with us other than our souls. And this is why we must focus in this life on the next life. And I know this is hard, this is a difficult message to hear. We always talk about this in the Orthodox Church, in almost every homily, every meeting, every prayer, there is this message about fasting, about attending liturgies, reading the Holy Scripture, having a real relationship with God. And when you hear this message in the church constantly, it is such a different message than what you're hearing in the world, in the world where everything is so quick. And instantaneous. I want this and I can have it in a matter of minutes. I want to order something from Amazon and now they even have same-day delivery so that you don't have to wait the two days that it used to be last year. But this is not the way, this message of the world of convenience and instant gratification, this is not the way to salvation. Salvation, dear brothers and sisters, requires an entire life of hard work, of labor, of diligence. And throughout this life of work, you're going to sweat. You're going to weep. People around you at work and at school are going to think that you are strange and that you are possessed. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be laughed at. And it's going to be a very hard path. But dear brothers and sisters, Christ assures us today That in the end it is worth it so that we can share in His life forever. Today, dear brothers and sisters, we are called to seriously re-examine our priorities and think about our lives. Think about how we spend our days. Work, dear brothers and sisters, and you will be transfigured. And if you've made a mistake, If you've fallen into sin, if you find yourself away from God and His church, then make a new beginning. Ava Silvanus once asked Ava Moses, Is it possible, dear Father, to make a new beginning? And Ava Moses told him, It is possible to make a new beginning every day if you work. You can make a new beginning. The doors of the church are open. And if you found, if you find that you've fallen behind, the time now has come for you to catch up. The church is here for you. All of the clergy are here for you. And above all, Christ is here giving you grace and helping you to return to Him and to begin this diligent and spiritual work. And as you know, in after next Sunday, we begin probably the most important time of spiritual work in the church, which is the Great Holy Fast, 55 days of work. I pray, dear brothers and sisters, from now you will start to prepare yourself. You will meet with your fathers of confession and spiritual fathers, talk about your life, talk about where you are weak spiritually, and take these 55 days to make a change to have a springtime for your soul. And God will help you. God will help you, dear brothers and sisters. Let us all resolve today to make a change. To our God be all glory, to the All-Holy Father, to the All-Holy Son, and to the All-Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.